Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Kate Golasso time on our weekend preview. We have James Bench and Jimmy Conrad to discuss a seriously crazy weekend ahead. Arsenal against Manchester United, Chelsea against Burnley, Man City against Sheffield United. We have Serie A, La Liga, Bundesliga. We talk about Copa Libertadores final. The United States men's national team also plays a game this weekend. This and so much more. Stay right here. Kate Golasso weekend preview begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Que Go La So. This is our weekend preview, our mammoth weekend preview. Before taping, uh, we were all like, oh, my God, there's so many games. Maybe we just <laughs> won't get over it. It'll be just this marathon four-hour episode. But no, for the sake of your ears and eyes, we won't do that. And we welcome, of course, Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy, what's up, bud? You know. Just chilling, <laughs> but I'm excited. Big weekend. And of course, being able to do the pod with you and Mr. James Benj is always awesome. And so I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And that was the segue for me to introduce and welcome back James Benj. James, how are you, buddy? I am great. It's good to be here. I'm already exhausted just looking at our fixtures. <laughs> it's so much and we're not even playing. Uh, it's going to be quite a lot. But let's begin, as we always do, uh, with the Premier League with a gigantic matchup, I think, uh, historically, uh, in terms of the table, in terms of the form, in terms of what's been going on this week. Arsenal hosting Manchester United on Saturday. It's a very big game. Let's begin, Jimmy Conrad, with your odds straight away. Oh, man, I wish we had a drum roll for that. Good value here, I think, straight up in this match. Arsenal to win is plus 185. The draw is plus 240. And United to win. They haven't lost at home. Uh, or away from home, excuse me, in, uh, plus 145. And over a year, geez, I'm all over the place with this. There's so many games, everybody. So anyway, what I'll say about this, I think Arsenal for me have been really impressive. They showed incredible resiliency when their backs are against the wall a bit. There was some talk of Arteta getting fired heading into January. They had then went on a six game unbeaten run and then lost to Southampton in the cup. And you think, oh, it was a pretty disappointing performance. And I know Benj is a diehard Arsenal fan. will be like, yeah, that was pretty lackluster. Didn't take their chances. Seemed too casual in some ways. Had to play Southampton a few days later and did the business. And I thought Lacazette was fantastic in that game. However, I went and did some research, everybody. Manchester United have not lost back-to-back games in the league all season. And as I mentioned, they're very good away from home. I wonder how they're going to perform in this one after losing to Sheffield United. That, that is a big surprise. I don't know why. Sheffield United just seems to have Manchester United's number. So when I take all this into consideration, I really feel like this is a 1-1 draw. It's written 1-1 draw written all over it, and that's the best value. I see plus 240 here. I don't think Aubameyang's going to play. He's got those personal things going on, and, and obviously that just weighs heavy on you. And I hope everything's going okay for him and his family. But Lacazette has really stepped up for me. I think he's going to score in this one. I think Rashford will score as well. I like 1-1. That's, uh, that's plus 240. If you want Rashford to score anytime, plus 188. Lacazette's plus 110. I do like Odegaard, potentially, because Smith Rowe could be hurt in this one. Odegaard to come in and get an assist, because why not? Plus 225 for that guy to get an assist. 
why not? See, he could maybe come in. He could set somebody up. You know, a good first impression for the Gunner faithful. You know, that's what I'm seeing, Benj. I don't know what you're thinking. It's really, I mean, <laughs> it's such a hard game to read because, you know, you, you expect United to come in with a reaction. I mean, and there's so many things from an Arsenal perspective, which obviously is the angle I'm kind of coming at it. There's, there's some really key question marks here. I mean, I'm talking to some people who know Emil Smith-Rowe quite well. Sounds like he might be fit. It's really up in the air, his fitness, though, I think. And the same with Partey as well. Now, if you take Partey and Smith-Rowe out of this team, I don't see United, Arsenal having much of a chance at all. I think Partey is already starting to prove that he is one of the best midfielders in the league, can do a little bit of everything. He reminds me of, and I, I'm really conscious of using this comparison. He reminds me of Patrick Vieira. He dominates games. He would, Ooh. you know, he would have a field day against Fred and McTominay, um, let alone, you know, Pogba if he doesn't do his defensive due diligence. Um, yeah, the front four for Arsenal, if it's that front four that they played uh, in midweek, will really click. Saka is, um, if he's not the same age as Erling Haaland, I think I can say he's the best player of his age in the world. Bold, that's bold. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that. I think he's outstanding. Um, and there's just real real good understanding between that that front four, whether it's Pepe or Martinelli on the left. Some great options. Um, maybe, again, you might have Tierney back as well. I think if Arsenal are full strength, I think they can win. It's that thing of they take a couple of pieces out and they look like a team that would lose. It's really on a knife edge from an Arsenal perspective. It is on a knife edge. And also, uh, when you add, obviously, as well, from both of you, the absentees, the possible absentees, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, as you mentioned, we don't know yet. Arteta didn't confirm yet if he was going to return for that game. Obviously, our thoughts uh, for him and his family, that's way more important than any football game. But regardless, we will have to wait and see if he will take part. From a Manchester United perspective, uh, Eric Bailey, uh, he didn't play uh, midweek. Uh, apparently, he will come back. And Lindelof was an un unused sub for Manchester United. So that might help a little bit in terms of the back. But I think to James Benj's point, this is a perfect opportunity for players like Partey to show what they can do. And I'm with you, James. I think Saka is the best player of his age in the world right now. He is absolutely tremendous. And he can be a big headache for this one. Historically, a very big game, of course. Uh, we all know about the Roy Keane, Patrick Vieira history, but there's so much more to it than that. But I'm with Jimmy here. I think it's going to be a draw. I see it just both sides, one feeling confident, but also cautious about the run that they're having. And the other one maybe a little bit too cautious over the fact that they just lost a game, which they clearly should have won. So that probably will cancel each other out. But I'm not sure, Jimmy, I'll throw it back to you in terms of this game, if you're sticking with that draw. I am going to stick with the draw. Last time United played Arsenal, they lost 1-0 at Old Trafford. The following game, they lost to Istanbul Bashakshi here in the Champions League group stages in Turkey. And that ultimately led to United dropping out. Had they won that game, even got a draw, they would have been punching their ticket for the knockout rounds. Instead, they dropped to the Europa League. I think they're going to learn from that experience. I think they're going to make sure that there's a firm double pivot, McTominay and Fred. I think they're going to have that box. It's going to be hard for Lacazette to find the space. And I brought up Lacazette earlier. He's been tremendous for me, not only in setting things up when he set up Saka very well in the Southampton game just most recently. It's his, they're just allowing the team to transition a little bit when he holds up the ball in a meaningful way and allows other players to, 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 to come into the attack and create the numerical advantages that I think Arsenal are very good at when they have that. If he's not holding up the ball or whoever plays the ninth spot isn't holding up the ball, Arsenal struggle. And so it's really important for Lacazette to do that. But 
to, to what I was saying before about the box, when you have that double pivot, you have McTominay and, and Fred sitting in front of the two, there's just no space. So it's going to be interesting to see where Lacazette tries to pick it up. If he right, tries to run the channels a little bit and pull slow center backs and, and uh, United have a couple of those out of the spaces and allow other people to run through. It's going to be a great game tactically. I, you know, my soccer nerd, soccer geek hat on, but I just see a draw here. And as I mentioned, I think United have responded quite well to adversity in the past, haven't dropped back-to-back losses uh, so far this season. I'm going to stick to it. I go with the draw again. James Benz, your final score prediction. What do you think? And any final thoughts from this game? Uh, yeah, I think probably a draw. It's it's so hard to call. Um, it's two great teams at the moment, we have to say. Two teams that, that also look like they could improve over the years to come. But um, yeah, I can't quite call it. <laughs> any results possible. Ben, how's that, how's that fence treating you? Is it, is it comfortable sitting on that fence? Well, look, I've seen you enjoying it so much. I thought I might <laughs> Okay, I'm done. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, a draw from everybody here, and I think that would benefit everybody, including Manchester United's rival, uh, Man City, which uh, they would like that very much. Obviously, a loss would be better, but they will take advantage of that. All right, moving on in the Premier League. There's so much action, guys. We have to keep going. Let's stay in the Premier League. Uh, we've talked about Sheffield United and that win against Man United. Man City uh, up next for them. Uh, Jimmy Conrad, a pretty big game here for Sheffield United. They need to continue points, but you just don't see this again, no, do you? No, City are on something fierce right now. I mean, they're so good in so many different ways. What I will say is that they struggle to score multiple goals against Sheffield United. I'm looking right here. The last two times they played against each other, City won 1-0. Sheffield United will be coming into this with some momentum. Hey, we beat one Manchester club. Let's go out there and try to beat the other. Uh, City and United are much, much different. I, I think right now in particular, City are very decisive in the box. They're not dicking around by any stretch of the imagination. I, I feel like since Pep Guardiola came out and announced we were running too much, we needed to run less and let the ball do the work. They have been excellent going forward, scoring multiple goals. There's really no good odds here. I would just kind of look at the over-under, all things considered, because it's just a matter of whether you think Sheffield United can hold them again to a, a short scoreline or if you think you not, our city's going to continue to to just pile in the goals. That That's really the big one right now, and, and uh, that uh, those odds for the over-under – I actually don't mind the over three and a half goals plus 120. That's a lot, but I kind of see a 3-0 City win here. Maybe Sheffield gets one and that would put you over. The under three and a half goals is minus 150. So I think the bookies are looking at a lot of goals as well. I don't know what you guys think, but I think this is one-way traffic for City. Well, I'm just going to throw it to James Bench very quickly. Thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I almost I could almost see a world where Sheffield United just kind of let this game slide. They've got six – or the United game was the first of six games in 18 days – they're going to have to pick their battles and they did amazingly um, in midweek. But I think maybe you just kind of think, let's let City have this one and, and prepare <laughs> in midweek. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Chelsea against Burnley. Uh, Burnley, uh, after beating Aston Villa 3-2, will now face Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel's second game. Probably a little bit more uh, time to prepare. Before I go to Jimmy, to the odds, uh, James Bench wrote about the presser with Thomas Tuchel. It lasted a little bit longer than desired, I believe. James Bench, what's the latest on uh, Thomas Tuchel uh, as he prepares for this second game in charge for him? Yeah, so I was at his official unveiling um, today. A bit strange having that after a game, but um, I have to say, I think he was—he really charmed me. I think he knows he's he's fighting a, a uphill battle after Lampard's departure. We know he's Lampard's got friends in the media. The Chelsea fans love him. He came out and spoke 
phenomenally well. Um, he's obviously had a text wishing him luck from Lampard as well, which hopefully will will cool some of the more emotive heads around Chelsea. Um, and he's come with a commitment to playing football in the right way. Uh, we maybe saw like little flashes of that against Wolves. It was a bit slow, but there was a real insistence on keeping the ball. And it will take time. It'll take a lot of time before Tuchel ball, whatever you want to call it, is really in place. Because you could tell they knew that they were supposed to pass, but they didn't really know what to do and how to get towards goal. But he certainly from what I heard, I would I would be willing to give him time if I were a Chelsea player. He looks like a great manager, um, name-checked some youngsters he was looking forward to working with. Obviously, probably, I think he knows he's had a nice write-up from Christian Pulisic as well. So um, he's looking good. He's made a good first impression. And, you know, press conferences are obviously the most important thing. Well, Christian Pulisic did help him uh, in that game when he was trying to shout Aspilicueta's name and going, Aspli, Aspli. And Pulisic was like, hey, boss, it's Aspi. That was a fun little moment right there. But yeah, to your point, obviously, it's going to take time. And he said it himself after the game. Listen, this is not about winning the title this season. It's about step by step. And also, especially when you change to a 3-5-2 formation, it's going to be interesting. Jimmy Conrad, thoughts on this game, odds, etc. I mean, there were some things I saw in the Wolves game from Chelsea where you're like, oh, it, it le- they look like they have a plan for once, you know? And maybe it wasn't being executed in, in maybe as efficiently as it's, it's going to be in a couple of weeks' time. But there was some thought and there was some ideas. And, and you know, Zayek and, and Havertz kind of sitting in like kind of a double 10 spot trying to find those gaps between the back line. There's, there's some ideas. And, and they were really trying to push up Chilwell. Uh, and Hudson Adoy really up high and, and kind of, you know, 5-3-2-ish, 3-5-2-ish. I still think he's going to be tinkering for a while, but I do like what Tuchel's about. I know, you know, it's fun. It's interesting. His reputation at the end of PSG, you're like, eh, I think they're just tired of this guy, you know, and you can see he was tired and maybe a little frustrated. He couldn't get more out of the squad than, than what he was getting. And now he comes here and like this fresh start feels good for everybody. So I'm excited to see how he does. However, Burnley, I just want to give a shout out to them. They have uh, beaten Liverpool, Fulham and Aston Villa in their last three. So they're not going to be slouches coming into this. They've got a, a ton of confidence. And, and I think that I, I just feel like Chelsea at home in particular, are pretty good. I like Chelsea to win both teams to score plus 190. I'm going to stay away from, from the individual ones. You guys know I like to do from time to time because I don't know who's going to line up for Chelsea. You know, I, I was really surprised to see Frank Lampard's son, Mason Mount, not starting. But I guess that makes sense since Lampard's not there anymore. So I'm kind of curious as to which lineup he's going to go with, who he wants to trust. Um, you know, we saw Giroud start last. And maybe Werner gets to start this time around. I don't know. But, but there's some ideas for Chelsea, and I think some of those will come through. And I think their talent's probably a little bit better than Burnley. And I think they're going to get the job done two to one. Well, if the biggest focus for Thomas Tuchel, which is two things, actually, one is obviously uh, uh, retaining possession more than 900 passes, et cetera, against Wolves. And the other one is recovering possession. Tuchel's obsessed with that, just getting that ball straight away back. Uh, Burnley, in a way, seems like the perfect opponent, James Bench, because they love to just wait and hold and counter and hit you on set pieces. So it should be interesting, especially a Burnley side who, like Jimmy said, is very, very confident. I think it's going to be agony for Chelsea. I, <laughs> I, I would not be at all confident if I were Thomas Tuchel because I, th- I think we're very, we don't talk about defending enough and I don't want to go on a spiel. We do not have time for my Burnley a great spiel, but Burnley are great at making you take bad shots. Chelsea, I think they proved against Wolves, are more than willing to take a bad shot or two. You know, the, the, the actual shots they took were dreadful. So I don't really think that this is a good game for Tuchel and, and um, Chelsea at all. And I think they're going to lose. Um, I, wow. Know, we've seen this with Burnley. Wow. They just did it to Liverpool. 
they sucker punch you. They encourage you to take shots from outside the box, from positions where Tarkovsky and me can block. Um, and you do it because it's a natural inclination. And then they go and win a set piece, win a penalty and, and beat you, uh, as Luis probably is feeling, um, is well aware of after last night. I think. Yeah, well, listen, like I said in the tweet, I said in the tweet, I said, listen, Burnley is the football version of sand in your swimming trunks. They're just so <laughs> annoying. They're so good at making sure that your chances of goals are almost close to zero. And then all they need is just one chance especially from a set piece or whatever. They're very annoying, but you got to give them a lot of credit. I got to raise my hand. I agree with Bench that Burnley are going to be tough. And if you want to agree with Bench and you think Burnley's going to win and both teams will score, it's plus 1,200. So you're going to owe Bench like a, a, a thank you card at the very least if you guys hit that. <laughs> when I see the game against Aston Villa that they just played and they won three to two, the first one's a set piece. It's a corner kick. Terrible marking there from Villa. That, can be, that for me can be very easily rectified. Okay, and then the second goal they give up slips through, I don't know, 15 guys, and Emmy Martinez can't make the save. And honestly, pretty fortunate goal. The third one uh, that you guys scored was a cross, and I actually thought the marking was pretty good. Chris Wood kind of hits it in, hits off the post, and goes in. All right, fair play. That, those happen sometimes. For me, ultimately, though, pretty, pretty correctable. And I think defensively, Chelsea are better than Villa, with all due respect with where, especially how they're, they're setting up now. Well, maybe they were like two months ago, but they have the possibility of being very stout defensively. Where I saw, saw some big weaknesses for Burnley, when you watch the two goals that Aston Villa scored, they get absolutely decimated when the ball goes wide. Jack Grealish mm-hmm. scores, bombing in late. Uh, somebody else scores. I can't remember scored the first one, you know, coming in uh, late. And, and all of a sudden they lose track of their runs. If Chelsea, who really under Lampard tried to create a lot of attacks out wide, if they commit real numbers going forward, I think they're going to have some success. And I think that Tuchel obviously will be watching that game as well and trying to say, hey, let's keep that going. Whatever Villa was doing there, let's try to mimic that because clearly that's where Burnley struggles. So I'm curious as to you know, how they set up and where they attack, but it's clear that Tuchel was trying to create numerical advantages out wide, and I think they can take advantage. Well, listen, I'm not going to say Burnley's winning this. I'm just telling you they're a very annoying <laughs> team. No, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not going to say that. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that they're a very annoying team to play with. And just a few points on that game, Jimmy Conrad, by the way. Aston Villa had more than 60% position, mm-hmm. uh, doubled the shots on time. You're absolutely right. Every single goal that Burnley scored should have been dealt with, especially the, the corner one that really shouldn't even be in a corner. Now, Tyron Mings made a completely wrong mistake. In the first half, it should have been 3 nothing had it not been for England's best goalkeeper right now, Nick Pope. He was absolutely amazing. But the thing that I'm trying to make is that Burnley is so good. You just give us one chance, just one chance, and we'll take care of it. And that's the issue. But I, I do I agree with your point. Thomas Tuchel is going to look at this, and he's going to say, this is how we can basically take advantage of the moments when Villa didn't take them. Because in the first half, this game should have been over. But Burnley, to their credit, took absolute control. I'm going with a very narrow Chelsea win. It's going to be very difficult for them. So I'll go with like a one nothing, maybe even 2-1, and I'll stick with that. James Bend, you're sticking with that Burnley victory? I'm sticking with my Burnley victory. Um, yeah, Ashley Westwood, most underrated creator in the Premier League. He has the best, some of the best expected assists numbers. And... Myself and Mike, my fellow nerd, cannot explain why. Yeah. <laughs> well, we do miss him a bit every now and again. How about you, Jimmy Conrad? You're staying yeah, with a Chelsea win? You and I are uh, rowing the boat in the same direction, Luis. I'm going 2-1. Yeah, well, there you go. There you have it. All right. Uh, well, that's it from the Premier League because there is West Ham is playing Liverpool on Sunday, but because we're taping this, 
as Tottenham is facing Liverpool. We don't really want to talk too much about it because obviously the lineups, etc. But we can tell you that it will be a very big game. Look at West Ham, everything that they're doing and Liverpool trying to play catch up. Of course, this, of course, doesn't include the fact that they're playing Tottenham. So we'll just stay with that and we'll move to the rest of Europe. We won't even take a break. We'll just keep going, boys. We will go now to, let's go to the Bundesliga, everybody, where very quickly, there's some big games. And basically the moral, the theme of the story, as Jimmy Conrad uh, rightly reminded us before we even started taping is in these leagues, Serie A, Bundesliga, you know, La Liga, the top teams, they, they just have to keep winning and hope that basically the leader hiccups at some point. Bayern Munich plays Hoffenheim, Borussia Dortmund against Augsburg, and the big one, definitely from a neutral perspective, RB Leipzig against Bayer Leverkusen. Jimmy, you have some odds here. Well, I do. Uh, this is a tough one, and I hate to straddle the fence and say a draw, but I'm feeling like it. RB Leipzig versus Bayer Leverkusen, obviously two very hipster teams. You know, if you're going to pick a team to follow, I think, uh, you know, a team that's right off the shoulder of Bayern Munich is one to do and get after, and obviously they have a lot of style and, and have some tremendous players on their team. I, they, both of these teams have slipped up in their last uh, couple games, and I'm going to look at it right now. So RB Leipzig have only won two out of their last six. Bayer Leverkusen have won one out of their last six. For all the kind of, I don't know, turmoil, let's say, that seems kind of harsh, but turmoil and maybe dramatic around Bayern Munich and their defense. So they're just giving up a lot of sloppy goals, lost to Holstein Kiel in the cup, you know, gave up a 2-0 lead to Mönchengladbach to lose 3-2, just giving up a lot of goals in general. They're still got a seven point lead at the top. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, Bayern Munich still just cruise. It's just what they do. They're going to win the Bundesliga for sure. So this one's interesting. It's a must win for both, but they're not playing particularly well. I think despite this result, I think everybody's just accepted the fact that Bayern are going to win it again. Nobody's really challenging them in a meaningful way, like usual, right? Come out of the winter break and then Bayern takes off. I don't know. I don't know what to make of these two teams. All of a sudden, you know, I feel like every time, almost only Gunner-esque, every time we talk about how great Julian Nagelsmann is for RB Leipzig, this terrific young manager, then he just throws up a lemon or a couple of lemons in a row. And you're like, wait, so wait, is he, is he good or is he not good? You know, and I, I we feel like the same thing about Ole Gunner. And of course he's, he's a great manager and Peter Bosch at Bayer Leverkusen, you know, he's done very, very well getting the most out of his guys. So untalented, but then they win one out of their last six just feels I don't know. It feels a little unacceptable. So I'm going to get the odds for you. I forgot to write that down, but I want to hear you guys' thoughts on these two teams in particular, because they're still outside shots for me. Bayer Leverkusen is still a dark horse to win the Europa League. I mean, they have that type of talent and depth. Yeah. Well, Leipzig has an excellent record against Leverkusen. They've won four games out of the total nine matches played between the two teams. Forsberg is out for this one. Uh, I do believe. And, you know, it's just going to be a battle of wits, I guess. Uh, because both are very talented. Both are trying to push for that second. James Bench, uh, I can't remember if you were part of the episode, but one of the things that we were talking about, the Bundesliga, is, as Jimmy said, Bayern Munich clearly in the lead, clearly going to win this. Who is the second best team in this division? Not a clue. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Bye. No, I, the thing I find super, it should be Leipzig. But And it's just so funny when in England we're constantly talking about how Timo Werner hasn't settled. God, they miss Timo Werner. I, just, I mean, Emil Forsberg's out, you know, kind of central midfielder, attacking midfielder. He's their top scorer, along with left-back Angelino. Wow. Four goals in the Bundesliga, those two have got. I think Paulson has the same number as well. It's, you know, that's the problem for Leipzig, is they, and we saw this in the Champions League, even though they got through, is they didn't really manage to replace 
Werner. Um, I haven't seen a huge amount of Leverkusen. Um, saw a bit of their Europa League games, and almost with them, the thing I like is they may not have one superstar goal scorer, but Alario gets a lot. Schick gets his fair share. Diaby's looked great over the last few months. Um, sort of brilliant goal back in December, I think. Um, I like that they can share that goal burden. And for me, you know, in the end, it's goals that that, that win you league games and win you, you know, a top four finish. And so I probably would fancy like Leverkusen for the game. Mm, interesting. Uh, how about you, Jimmy? What was your final score for that one? I, I, I oh man, I'm like draw central right now. But the but the lines, the basic lines are minus one ten for uh, Leipzig to win. So for everybody that doesn't know, you got to bet 110 to win 100 if you see a minus there. Plus 275 for the draw. So bet 100 to win 275 or $10 to win 27 and a half, however you want to do it. And plus 300 for Leverkusen to win. I actually think, I agree with Benj. I think that's some tremendous value given how diverse the attack is for Leverkusen. I, I mean, they're very good and they need something. They need a result like this. You know, they they were I'm just looking at their, their kind of run they beat Borussia Dortmund a week ago, 2-1, but then they lost to Union Berlin, 1-0, the, the game before that. And, and then they lost to Eintracht Frankfurt, but then beat Frankfurt. I was just, they're just so inconsistent. When they started the season so well, they were hovering around the top of the table. This is at some point, they have to get back on it and start playing playing well. And Diaby is a, a good shout. He's been excellent uh, in particular. So, yeah, I like Leverkusen, plus 300. Why not? Let's throw it over uh, to that and see what happens. But the draw, I can still see a 1-1. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick with that draw as well. But yes, watch out. By the way, watch out for Wolfsburg, who are still, you know, doing their thing yeah, up there. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move to Spain. The same rhetoric here, the same narrative here. Real Madrid faces Levante, Cadiz against Atletico, but a big one, Barcelona against Athletic Bilbao. It's basically about trying to keep up with the leader. But you had another game here, Jimmy Conrad, in La Liga this weekend. Yeah, the Barcelona Athletic one is very good. Athletic plays today, so we don't really know how they're going to perform uh, in the cup, though they should beat a third-division team, unlike Real Madrid, who couldn't do it last time around. That's my shade at all you madridistas out there. Uh, but yeah, those are games that, outside of the Barcelona one, Madrid and, and Atleti should win. I really like Villarreal versus La Real Sociedad. Uh, the yellow submarine is undefeated at home this season. They don't have Gerard Moreno, who scored a bunch of goals for them, or Samuel Chukwesi. But there's no David Silva for La Real. So here's my fun stat. And I think this will influence which the way you guys would want to bet. Via Real unbeaten in their last seven all competitions. Haven't lost at home, like I said. Sociedad have won just once of their last 10 league games. And plus 145 for Via Real to win. I feel like they're printing money at William Hill on that one. I mean, that seems like a no-brainer. To, to put money on that. I just haven't seen enough from La Real recently. They haven't responded well after a great start. And, uh, you know, they got Manchester United looming as well in the Europa League. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough time. But without Moreno and Chukwesi, that, that does limit Villarreal. They become a little bit more predictable and more one-dimensional in their attack. But, uh, uh, you know, anytime you have Danny Pereo on your team, you still, you still have a chance. So mm -hmm. I, I like that. I like Villarreal to win straight up in that. Well, in a Champions League spot right now, James Benjamin, it's Unai Emery's uh, Villarreal, which is... Uh, <laughs> how do you see this one or anything in La Liga? Um, I'm, I, as, as Jimmy said, the, the Villarreal-Lareal game looks super fun. It's interesting to see um, Jeremy Pino getting a, a lot of minutes under Unai Emery, who actually, I think maybe his reputation for giving youth a chance is maybe not as high as it should be. He did it at PSG. He did it at Arsenal. It looks like he's doing it at Sevilla. Oh, sorry, not Sevilla. Villarreal um, with with this this Pino guy who looks looks good steel. As for Sociedad, I think it's pretty clear that like their issue is that they're not really 
consistently scoring. I know that they've got two in they got two against Cordoba, two against Betis, but they haven't scored more than two in quite a while, I don't think. Maybe they're going to miss that spark of creativity that David Silva brings, that Martin Odegaard would have brought had he not pulled out of that deal, which from what I've heard, he was very, very tempted by, no matter what um, Sociedad have said since. So um, they're kind of lacking a bit of spark, even though they're grinding it out. They're not the same team we saw earlier in the season. Um, and Villarreal, it's not always easy on the eye watching your Emery teams, but I haven't, you know, I've, they do get results. Emery does tend to get results. And they're in fourth spot, which is really commendable for a, a tough uh, Spanish league. All right, what's your final score here, Jimmy? Yeah, I got just Villarreal winning. I'll say without Gerard Moreno, he had 10 goals for, for Yellow Submarine with him being out. Does make it a little bit more difficult. I could see a 1-0, 2-1. I mean, La Real always plays pretty tight games, no matter who the opponent is. Yeah. James Bench? Yeah, I'd say 1-0 Villarreal. Yeah, let's go with that too. There you go. Well, everybody here's a Villarreal Yellow Submarine uh, win against La Real. All right, let's go finally to Serie A. The same thing here. All actually the most notable games are played on Saturday, at least the first three apart from Atlanta. Last year, you have Bologna against AC Milan, Inter against Benevento, Sampdoria against Juventus. And Atlanta against Lazio, once again, they face each other after facing each other in Coppa Italia. Jimmy, you have some odds for that one. Yeah, that's the one that I think that's the sexiest. I do have uh, some, some odds on Roma-Verona, but I'll get into that in a sec. I like Atalanta. They just beat Lazio 3-2 in the cup. Uh, they were, it was 2-2 at half, so a ton of goals in that one. Uh, Duvan Zapata, Ilicic didn't start, and Ilicic didn't end up playing for Atalanta, so they're two top attackers. Zapata came on in the 60th minute and then missed a penalty, but they were down a man. They got a red card and still scored Atalanta, make it 3-2. Uh, cheer the hero Moble for Lazio, second leading goal scorer in Serie A. Didn't, didn't start either, came on with about 15 minutes left to go. So obviously like a second side for both, and Atalanta came through. Atalanta's hosting them again. I like Atalanta to win. I like over two and a half goals. That's plus 122. Uh, Zapata to score, uh, Atalanta to win 2-0, 2-1, or 3-1 is plus 500. I think Zapata's going to be pissed he missed a penalty, and he's going to want to get some redemption. I think he's going to get some chances for sure against that Lazio defense. But if you just want to play it safe without the score lines, uh, Zapata to score, Atalanta to win. Both teams to score plus 320. I do like Immobile to score. He just does it. I don't know how, but he finds space and figures out ways to hit the back of the net pretty much every single game. I think he's got 18 in his last 20 games in all competitions. It's pretty impressive. But if you want Immobile to score, Atalanta to win which is a nice uh, twist, plot twist there. Uh, both teams to score plus 450. I, I like one of those, and I like Zapata or Immobile if you guys want to throw them into the mix. Oh, I'm taking that to the house. Immobile to score and Atalanta to win? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, James Bench, without Papo Gomez, Atalanta, Gasparini, they just keep on trucking. Keep on rolling. I'm looking at their results now. There's a weird period, um, the 17th, a couple of games where they drew with Genoa and Udinese. And they did like every game either side of that. They're scoring three or more goals. They battered AC Milan. Um, bat you know, absolutely were great against Lazio. I think though I've worked out what Lazio need to do because basically every game that Atalanta draw, it's where they have loads of the ball. Just give the ball to Atalanta and sit deep and challenge them to break you down. There's no oh, capital right. anymore. Um, that seems like the, the most logical solution because the less of the ball Atalanta have, the more dangerous they look. They're like a coiled spring. Um, so yeah, just don't, if you, if they just didn't even kick the kick off, can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Lazio's got a chance. Yeah. 
how about that for a, a pre-game dressing room speech, right? Just, just <laughs> let them do whatever. Don't the ball. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Jimmy, what was your final prediction in this one? Yeah, I'll say I'll say 2-1 and uh, Zapata to score. I like that one. That's plus 500, so sign me up for that. All right, I'll go with the same score on, uh, score line with Immobile to score and, and take that one to the house, the one from yeah, the previous one. line. James Bench? Um, both of the last two Atalanta-Lazio games have been 3-2, so let's make it a hat-trick. 3-2 to Atalanta. Nice, I like that. Well, that's uh, it. Uh, no, no, I wanted to jump in really quick. Oh, that's right, you have Verona, go ahead. I do have Verona. Roma, <clears throat> excuse me, is hosting Verona, and Verona in particular, I looked at their fixtures, very good away from home. They, they've only lost twice uh, away from home. One was the first game of the season. Let's just throw that one out, right? You never know what's happening in the first game of the season. They just lost to Bologna away. But they drew with uh, Juve. They drew with Milan. They beat Atalanta. They beat Lazio. They drew with Fiorentina. Like, these guys can play away from home. I think they're not being treated with the respect, bookie-wise, they should. Roma, for me, with Edin Dzeko now having a falling out with the manager Fonseca, and now him wanting to leave is a problem. I would be nervous about that because I've been on teams before where the best player maybe butts heads with uh, the manager and it, it, it throws off the vibe. Like if you didn't know what was going on, sometimes you don't, but if there was some frustration that was probably seeping in as well. I think that could throw Roma off in this game, especially against a team that I saw in Verona who's pretty good away from home. The, the, the straight up lines are Roma to win straight up minus 150 plus 290 for the draw. I would look at that. Plus 420 for Verona to win. I could see them going in and stealing points. Roma are in third right now. They always get a little like shaky once they get kind of close to the top. As, as, as a Roma fan, I know this. They're just like they can't handle the pressure of being close to the top. So they like to be, they're more comfortable in fifth or sixth. And that's just that vibe of the Roma team currently. So I could see them dropping points here. Very similar to Sheffield and Manchester United. Like they just, you just can tell, you just can feel that Sheffield's probably going to get a result, even though they shouldn't, given how they've been performing. So that's just something for you guys to look at if you're looking for something a little exotic. Well, amidst the Rona, Verona could beat Roma. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, this, we're ending it. It's over. <laughs> James Bench, before we say goodbye to you, any final thoughts? Um, I have a question for Jimmy based on what he was just saying. Jimmy, were you ever the best player on your team? And if you were, did you ever, you know, finagle a little move out of the club? Wow. Uh, yes. So there was a time where, well, I don't know. I guess I was arguably one of the best players on our team from a defensive perspective, for sure. And I was with the national team and there was an opportunity for me to potentially go to the New York Red Bulls. And given that the coach and I didn't really see eye to eye, which ultimately played out, I didn't end up going, but there was some talk there and my agent was trying to maybe make it happen because they were offering me a lot more than, than Kansas City at the time. So yeah, these are the things you think about and that does start to, in, in some ways, because that conversation was had, then the coach didn't think I was being loyal anymore and he wanted to ship me out. He actually took the captain's armband away from me because of it. Wow. That's so, cool. I've actually never talked about that before, but here well, we go. Well, there you go. Exclusive. We're just a K-Galazzo exclusive. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, you know, I wish we had more time to talk about it and get into one day, it. One day, one day, one, one, one day. One day we'll get into it. Well, James Bench, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Don't forget to read his latest content on cbssports.com. James Bench on Twitter. Thank you, James. Thank you. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Kego Lasso. It's now just me and Jimmy Conrad as we discuss the Americas. Uh, a lot of news from this side of the world. And of course, we begin, Jimmy, with Copa Libertadores final. An old Brazilian final. This year's final will be the third to feature two Brazilian teams. In 2005, Sao Paulo defeated Atletico Paranense. And then the next year, Internacional beat Sao Paulo. And they're facing Santos Palmeiras who won the title once before in 99. Uh, but Santos, the former club of Pele, Neymar, has won it three times, twice with Pele in 62 and 63, once with Neymar in 2011. Should be a very interesting one. Of course, it's in an empty Maracanã Stadium at Rio de Janeiro. Uh, should be interesting. Uh, basically, Abel Ferreira is looking to become the second Portuguese coach to win Copa Libertadores after, yeah. of course, Jorge Jesus did it last time with Flamengo. But Cuca, the opposing coach, is going to try and figure this out. He's got plenty of experience, by the way, in these kinds of competitions. Uh, he won the South American club title in 2013 with Atletico Mineiro. Uh, so this is going to be a good one. I mean, God, I wish there were fans in this stadium. Obviously, um, you know, safety and health is the most important thing, but should be interesting from a neutral perspective. What do you have for us? 100%. And uh, I'm sad that there will be no fans as well. I've been to the Maracanã. I went there for a World Cup quarterfinal, France versus Germany. And then I was there for the World Cup final, Argentina versus Germany. So I have some special memories of that stadium and, and being there for that. So it's, it's, it's one of the great ones around the world. And if you have a bucket list, everybody, you should get down to the Maracanã at some point. I'm still a little disappointed as a Boca Juniors fan. I'm going to be honest. They had a great chance of getting into the final to play their biggest rivals, who in the other semifinal River Plate, the two top Argentine clubs. But we're here with an all-Brazilian uh, final. And what I find interesting is that let's look at current form, right? I mean, you've, you've given some great insight and context, and I think this is a competition that doesn't get anywhere near the love and respect that it deserves. It's the Champions League of South America, everybody, and it's kick-ass, and there's so many great games and great storylines, and hopefully it gets respect. It starts to get more respect. I mean, I think most people do, but it's just like we don't get to see it as much, right? Champions League is always in our face, but we need some more Copa Libertadores in our lives. CBS, I'm looking at you. Acquire those rights. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so what I, want to, <laughs> what I wanted to add is let's look at current form. Both of them haven't won a game in their last three. They're not playing well right now. And you have to wonder if that's due to, I'm sure there's injuries and some COVID issues and, and all types of different stuff that's going on. But, but you have to wonder if they're thinking about this one now. Like this is, I mean, they haven't won it in a long time. And, and 1999 for Palmeiras in particular is, a, is, is quite some time. I don't know. There's something about Santos that I really like in this one. Uh, I like Kuka. I like what he's been saying before that his team is psychologically ready for this. I actually think whoever scores first is going to end up winning it. I think that's just really going to unlock some things and take the pressure off. They're going to get after it and, and play from there. And it's going to be a lot more pressure on the team that doesn't, but I'll give you the lines on William Hill. 
Uh, straight up for Palmeiras to win is plus 125. The draw is plus 210, and Santos is plus 240. I, I like that for whatever reason. Santos is, is mid-table in Brazil right now. Um, Palmeiras is uh, – let me see. Palmeiras is in fifth. But, again, they, they've drew their last one and lost their last two before that. Santos has lost three straight. Santos gives up a lot of goals. I'll say that. They've, they've scored 44 in, this, the, in the league and given up 44. So I think there's going to be some goals in this one. I don't know. They're, they're, def- they're not the favorites, but there's something about that squad that I really like. And, and uh, I'm kind of giving them the edge right now, but maybe you can talk me out of it, Luis. <laughs> well, no, I, I, the thing is about this game, specifically because of their recent run and the fact that just, just from a performance perspective and who they are as a club right now, there's actually very little to separate them So that makes for a very intriguing final. Just a few pieces of note, by the way. Uh, Santos' captain, Allison, uh, you know, he's currently just recuperating from COVID as well. His presence will be uncertain. So that could be a big loss. But I think judging from what we saw in the semifinals, when both teams just about managed through, right, especially... Um, especially Santos, I think, uh, just trying to deal with the Argentine contingent, just trying to get there. And they were just being a little resilient, but not resilient enough, but they just about made it. So this to me is about two teams who are currently on an imperfect run, about to face each other in the biggest game. Uh, well, for them, at least definitely right now, as you mentioned, Copa Libertadores is a tremendous tournament and the entertainment value alone is fantastic. And the fact that it's an all Brazilian final should be that much more intriguing. I'm going to go, oh, this is tough. Before I make my decision, you wanted to say something so quickly. Go ahead. Well, no, I just wanted to say that there's some good lines on the anytime goal score. Uh, Mourinho, he's plus 175 to score anytime. He has 16 goals and six assists for Santos. He didn't score in both legs against uh, Boca Juniors. I like him to be up for this one. I like him to have an impact. I, I like him to want to make history and be ready. And I think Kuka's going to have him ready. So that's just somebody to look at with regard to that. But what do you what are you thinking, Luis? You, who are you leaning towards? Well, I think. Listen, here's the thing: when Palmeiras became the first Brazilian team to beat Gallardo's River Plate over two legs in a Conmebol tournament, the first Brazilian team to do so, I feel that that might be enough to push them through all the way. So let's go with Palmeiras in. Extra time. Extra time. Wow. Let's go 3-2. Let's just go crazy. It's annoying because this game, by the way, is 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, 12 p.m. Pacific on Saturday. Same time as Southampton Villa. So I'm going to have to do a double screen here. (laughs) Yeah, you are. The last time these two teams played, by the way, was 2-2 in the league. Okay, so Uh, they'll be goals. Paris got a red card. Yeah, so they've. I'm I'm looking at all this now, and, and I had seen it before, but that's the most recent between... As, as you mentioned, right when you first started your breakdown, Luis, I mean, there's not much separating these teams. I will say, though, I think Palmeiras has a little bit more diversity in attack. They have a couple goal scorers, Luis Adriano, um, yeah. and who's got 10 goals. They got... Uh, Roney as well. Yeah, yeah. they have uh, Rafael Vega. He's got 11 goals. You know, uh, Roney's got four. Yeah. They just got guys that maybe can hurt you in different ways. I just think in a one-off, Santos has got a chance, you know, even if they're not playing well. Uh, but Palmeiras won out of the last six. Now the one win was a four zero thumping of Corinthians, one of their biggest rivals. I don't know. I love this. I, I wish we could take a deeper dive into this. Cause I, I love this competition and all these teams in particular, but uh, yeah, I got, I got Santos. I think they're going to pull the upset. I like the plus two forty. Uh, maybe, maybe let me see the bet. Let me see best uh, team props. Mourinho. I think Mourinho will score. 
or Mourinho. So we, it's not Jose Mourinho. So I'm not saying <laughs> yeah, it the same people way. People are going to get confused. Yeah, they get confused. But Santos, I think with both teams to score and Santos winning plus 600, I mean, I'll put 10 bucks on that and try to win yeah, 60. That's pretty good. Why not? Yeah. What, what about that, but with Palmeiras? 400 plus 400. So, okay, both so teams either score one. Palmeiras. Okay, yeah, well. it's not bad. Not bad cheddar there. Good well, William Hill again. You... Some, sometimes some bets on William Hill, man. Like, I think they're handing this free money. You just have to find the value. Especially Copa Libertadores. I feel yeah, like, you know, yeah. that's about a tour bad. Well, I hope you all enjoyed because it's on Saturday. It should be a cracking final. All right, I want to keep going here because the United, you know, we talked about games. By the way, the United States men's national team is yeah. uh, playing Trinidad and Tobago on Sunday night. Obviously, a uh, super experimental side, but just another chance for Greg Berhalter to see what he has. What do you have here? Yeah, well, there's no lines that I see on William Hill. So let's just break it down without any gambling perspectives. Trinidad haven't played a meaningful game in 14 months. So that itself is something to take into consideration. The U.S. have been training for a few weeks. There is this thing out there, the January camp. And I'm going to bring this up because it's very personal to me. And, and uh, I just, if people are listening to this and have made it to the end of the pod, oh, I hope your ears are still open. It has been phrased, this January camp is cap, Camp Cupcake. Like people dismiss it because it's only MLS players or Scandinavian players on a break. I made my career with the national team in a January camp because I got to be around the coaching staff for three weeks. It's not like I got brought into a qualifier. I've got two days to impress and not really training. You get to find some diamonds in the rough like myself because of these three weeks. Name me another national team around the world that has a camp like this. They just don't have it, but we do. And I think it's such a valuable tool. And so for people to casually dismiss it, Really pisses me off, Luis. And so this is a great opportunity. And I'm gonna, we talked to Christian Roldan yesterday on HQ. He's one player in particular. He can get in there and as Greg Burhalter starts to mold all the European guys that we talk about all the time with this young domestic talent, Roldan's got 18, 19 caps. He can come in and still be a guy we can rely on. And type, he might not start every game, but he can come on. What's, what's, what happens if McKinney gets hurt? What happens if Tyler Adams gets hurt? All of our, our golden boys, you still have to have guys that can step up and make plays and do the business. So. I just don't like when people casually dismiss this camp or casually dismiss MLS players because we're not winning shit. Sorry, pardon my French without guys that, that you, you don't win a team with 11, you win with 18, 23 guys. Like you have to have depth. And so I think it's really important uh, to make sure that this camp isn't dismissed. And that's my personal message there. You can tell I'm still a little hot about it. <laughs> no, listen, I, go, I think what you just said is right on point. I think people really don't uh, understand, especially American fans, just how, privileged they are to have an opportunity to just okay our european guys are doing this whatever we have the infrastructure we have the time we have the patience we have the uh possibilities of bringing in other players and like you said discover diamonds in the rough absolutely and listen especially at the very beginning of a culture setting standard by greg berhalter where you can just tell players who have never even anticipated that this could ever happen to them. You are now beginning to snowball a culture, a winning culture, a competitive culture and a family. And like you said, every now and again, a player that you may not have even thought about could come out and deliver as yourself. So absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm definitely living proof of that. And, and so I take it kind of personal, obviously you can tell, I think in my voice and my tone, but I will also say that I, I, it almost hurts when, when fans casually dismiss it as well. I mean, these players that go in, have sacrificed so much and for them to get a call into the national team, even if it's quote unquote camp cupcake, could you imagine like you're working your whole life to get to this spot and people are like, nah, it doesn't count because that's not all our best players. You're like, but, 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 you know, I've worked so hard for this opportunity. I've worked so hard to be in front of this coaching staff for three weeks. 
why would you want to take that away from somebody? You, you're and people that the people that are trying to take that away are people would that would kill to be in that same spot. So it's just really interesting to me that like there's this jealousy or bitterness that comes in and seeps into the fan stuff. But that, I'll leave that aside. What I wanted to say about this game in particular is that it's a huge opportunity for those players that have been doing well in training for the last three weeks in this camp cupcake to now go and perform when the lights are on, TVs are watching, fans are watching, TVs, TV cameras are watching, everybody's watching, including a whole bunch of TVs, apparently. You know, this is now you have to go out and perform and the pressure's on. And now you're going to start to see who can handle it because you'll find out also quickly if because this game, there's not nothing on it. If guys can't handle the pressure when there's nothing really on this national team game, then why you're never going to trust them in a game when it matters, right? Mm -hmm. So not only do you identify players that can help, you also identify players that are like, thank you for your time. Enjoy your cup of coffee with the national team. We're probably not going to see you again, right? So it works both ways. And I think it continues to allow us to find how we're going to strengthen uh, our squad. And also to your point, continue to build a winning culture. Yep. I just see it as the equivalent of an NFL preseason training camp. It's like yeah, it goes yeah. here and then it just so goes down, down, down. Super down. cutthroat, super yep. cutthroat. Yep. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Final thing before we say goodbye, uh, I think it's important to uh, talk about this. Naomi Osaka, a three-time Grand Slam tennis champion uh, of Japan, has invested in the North Carolina courage of the NWSL to become a team owner. Uh, you know, and she said, the women who have invested in me growing up made me who I am today. I don't know where I would be without them. It's just great to see this sort of uh, energy amongst uh, really inspiring athletes, especially female athletes, you know, and just doing their part to not just be involved in the NWSO and other leagues, et cetera, but also actually take ownership, active mm -hmm. ownership. We've seen it, of course, uh, in L.A. with their upcoming team as well. What, what do you make of it? Yeah, I think it's great. You know, it's another big name that is very vocal. She's very expressive on the internet and on social media. And I like that because I think she's going to hold some people accountable. Like if things aren't going well, I don't know if it's less about performance, more about maybe how the leagues run, you know, how yeah. are we going to get more people involved? That's one. Secondly, I think when her name is attached, you start to get more sponsors. Oh, wow. You start to, you know, perk the ears of people that have a whole bunch of money to spend and where are we going to invest that money from a marketing perspective? Oh, wow. Naomi Osaka wants to get in. Maybe we look at the, you know, North Carolina courage. So there's, there's that ripple effect that I think comes from that. Uh, but really ultimately what's going to make or break the league, like any sports league is butts in the stands. And I know right now that doesn't work in the COVID world, but when it does come back and things start to, we find this new normal and we can go back into stadiums, people have to go out and support the league. I'm excited about uh, Angel City in LA. I'm from LA and, and I want to, I have a Dabinia jersey from NC Courage. Uh, I want to get a Becky Sauerbrunn, you know, jersey from the Thorns. I want to support the league. I want to make sure, and we have to do that. So, so I think that's uh, really important for the development, uh, not only for our national team and the domestic league, but also just to kind of show, you know, the young women in our country that this, this sport matters to us on both sides, the men and the women. Yeah, and don't forget, CBS Sports has the rights to the NWSL when the Challenge Cup returns. And by the way, the, the NWSL was the very first league that came back uh, from our soccer world here in North America before MLS bubble, before even the NBA, etc. So hats off to them, and let's see what happens in the Challenge Cup later in spring. Jimmy Conrad, that is it. We did it. We what talked about everything. What an episode. Yeah, I'm out of breath. I don't even know what else I can talk about. Well, I'm not even going to ask you final thoughts because I feel like we've, done. we're done. We're done. done. The only thing I'll say is have a great weekend. Jimmy Conrad, thank you so much again, brother. Yeah, I look forward to Sunday. I look forward to uh, recapping everything we just talked about.
Hey everybody, I want to thank James Bench and Jimmy Conrad for joining me today. Don't forget to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We are everywhere, cbsports.com. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and for our family to grow even more. Have a great, great weekend.